Welcome to the Leadership Development Group's Health Ecosystem Leadership Podcast Series. We're excited to have you join us. My name is Tracy Duberman. I'm the founder and CEO of the Leadership Development Group. We are a global coaching and leadership development consultancy with an exclusive focus in the health industry. Over the years, we've had the distinct pleasure of working with some of the brightest talent in our industry, leaders who are clearly making a difference in the work they do to provide high quality care for those in need while designing approaches to enhance health and wellness. The purpose of this podcast series is to showcase how leadership is the essential ingredient to address the ever-growing issues and challenges facing the U.S. healthcare industry. As we know through our work, the great majority of these challenges are too complex and wide-ranging for any one sector to solve independently. This is where a health ecosystem leadership approach pays more than significant dividends. Solutions which emphasize how the various sectors of the health industry operate interdependently are the only ones with the potential to deliver on critical imperatives like affordability, access, and outcomes. During this podcast series, we will introduce you to some of the best and brightest health ecosystem leaders who will share practical examples of how they have successfully demonstrated a collaborative mindset, as well as the critical behaviors that lead to positive outcomes for their organizations, their patients, and the communities they serve. Today, I am pleased to welcome Barclay Berdan, the Chief Executive Officer of Texas Health Resources, to our podcast. Texas Health Resources, otherwise known as THR, is a faith-based nonprofit health system that cares for more patients in North Texas than any other provider. As of 2021, for the seventh consecutive year, THR has placed among the top of Fortune's list of best workplaces in healthcare and biopharma. And in fact, in 2021, was ranked number one on the list. Barclay became Chief Executive Officer of THR on September 1st, 2014, after serving as Senior Executive Vice President and COO for the previous two years. With over 30 years of service at THR, Barclay describes the system's culture as one of a family where the mission, vision, values, and our tech's health promise are woven together and modeled each day in the care of patients and their families. He believes that THR was built on a strong foundation of traditions, including faith, quality, compassion, and innovation that will sustain and guide the organization into the future. Active in healthcare issues, Barclay served as chairman of the Texas Health Association for the 2008-2009 year and was named to Modern Healthcare's 100 Most Influential People in Healthcare in 2016. Barclay earned a Bachelor of Science degree in biology from Texas Christian University in Fort Worth and a master's degree in business administration with a specialization in hospital administration from the University of Chicago Graduate School of Business. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Barclay, for joining us today on our Helm podcast. It is an absolute pleasure uh, for me to be speaking with you and I know for our listeners to be learning from you. Thank you for having me, Tracy. Of course, of course, it's um, it's our pleasure. Uh, so I ask this question of all of our uh, guests because it's always interesting to hear how people are attracted to the field. Uh, but I would love to learn a little bit more about your journey. Obviously, you've had a, an incredible professional career at Texas Health and, of course, other organizations within the industry. But I like to know what was it that attracted you to work within healthcare? Um, you know, uh, when you were beginning your professional career. 
Well, uh, my uh, training uh, through undergraduate had been mostly science-oriented in biology. I have a bachelor's of science in biology. Um, I was trying to figure out what to do with it. And I had a, a friend whose uncle was a hospital administrator in El Paso and was sending him information, trying to get him interested in hospital administration. Uh, and it caught my eye. Uh, and I uh, started exploring it. I'd never heard of the field before. I'd only been in the hospital a few times uh, as a kid in an emergency room. Um, but uh, as I uh, went on to graduate school and then started working in hospitals, even when I was in graduate school, uh, you know, became just enthralled with um, the whole organization, you know, 24-7, 365 all the different um, specialties and, uh, and, and you know, I, I tend to think of myself as kind of a systems thinker um, in transferring sort of biological systems uh, to systems of people uh, was just exciting for me. Uh, how it all worked together, how we could make it better, um, how we could uh, coordinate uh, things uh, in a different way. Uh, so that's really kind of how I got started and, and uh, was sort of the root of my passion. It's a, yeah, I was, I was going to mention, as you were telling the story, I didn't know uh, about the biology degree. It's obviously in your bio, but I'm glad that you pointed that out. It is interesting to think about the, the system, the human body as a system, and also an organization um, such as a hospital or a health system as a system itself. There are so many similarities um, so thank you for drawing that conclusion for us. When you um, began your career, uh, were, was it in um, a, a hospital within Texas? Have you been within the Texas uh, area your entire career? Uh, no. Uh, the first hospital I worked in was actually on the south side of Chicago uh, <laughs> while I was in graduate school. Uh, then one downtown Chicago, and then I've worked in hospitals in Florida, uh, Arkansas, and uh, several cities in Texas. Excellent. So you have had a broad experience in lots of different geographies, for sure. And different sizes and types, too. So I've worked on the for-profit side, the not-for-profit side, uh, big hospitals, small hospitals, rural hospitals. Uh, the first hospital I was uh, the executive director at uh, when I was about 28 uh, was in a county of 25,000 people, uh, which you'd probably describe it as rural Arkansas. Oh. Um, and I, I went there after spending a year working as an evening administrator at Northwestern Memorial in Chicago. So that's two contrasts for you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. You know, it's interesting it, in terms of um, any type of common thread that you saw um, between those very disparate geographies that you worked in and, and what are some of the major differences, if any? I mean, you know, in terms of your role as leading um, the health or hospital system. Well, you know, I think the commonality and all that is the, the staff, the, everybody who, you know, works on the front line. Um, uh, I think they're heroes all the time, particularly they're heroes over the last several years. Uh, but uh, that's the one common thread is people caring for people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that resulted uh, in uh, later in my career at Texas Health uh, in the creation of what we call the promise. Uh, which is a statement that uh, really has a lot of meaning for us and we talk about a lot. It's the promises individuals caring for individuals together. Uh, so it brings the concept of 
individual contributions as well as the team contributions, all focused around caring, mm-hmm. uh, not only for our patients and our communities, but for each other. Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate you bringing that up. In fact, um, I've known you for a long time, but the reason why I wanted to jump on this podcast with you now um, is because uh, of your recent article in Frontiers Magazine, which is published by the American College of Healthcare Executives. And for our listeners who haven't had the chance to read it, the article focuses on the important lessons learned by Texas Health Resources through your dealing with Ebola and then how you were able to apply those lessons learned to support employees through the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think a lot of that ties back to your systems culture where mission, vision, values, and your Texas health promise are woven together um, and modeled each day in terms of the way in which your uh, caregivers treat patients and their families. Um, So what would you say is the greatest lesson that THR learned through the Ebola virus, and how did you apply those lessons during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, uh, when Ebola uh, arrived in Dallas, uh, it was uh, very focused at one of our facilities, uh, one of our flagships, the Texas Health Presbyterian Dallas. And um, we had intensive uh, attention, uh, international attention, as well as the whole issues of the community. And, and I think the biggest lesson we learned when we stood back is a real recognition that um, you can have uh, a big disruption in the system. Most people don't think about that, um, but there can be a big disruption. It certainly disrupted one of our flagships yeah. for probably 90 days. <clears throat> um, uh, there are all kinds of things that you learn when you go through that. Um, But when we reflected on it uh, post the uh, event, we recognized that there could be black swan events. Um, And we asked ourselves, were we prepared for that? And and the reason we asked if we were prepared is because we think of our system and all of its facilities and people um, as a uh, a resource uh, owned by the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's really what health systems are, hospitals, physicians, uh, all the ambulatory services, um, particularly uh, in the not-for-profit world, um, are assets of the community. And the community kind of expects us to be there. <laughs> um, and uh, there are situations where, uh, which we couldn't really define at the time, where, you know, that might be challenged. Uh, and so we, uh, our board, uh, approved what we call a financial sustainability policy that really allowed us to maintain, to grow and maintain a strong balance sheet, to ensure you know, liquidity during financial headwinds. Uh, and you know, clearly one of those uh, is upon us now. Mm-hmm. But what it does is it really allows us to focus 100% of our efforts on taking care of our employees, taking care of patients, and not having to worry about you know, furloughs, layoffs, uh, could we pay bills, those kinds of things, um, and really focus on, you know, the overall morale of the workforce. Uh, and uh, that was probably the single biggest thing uh, that emerged from that, uh, that has um, played well for us as we've uh, gone through this uh, extended pandemic. You know, the second thing uh, that we learned was that protocols, guidelines, processes that need to be changed. 
Um, and early on in the COVID uh, pandemic, we put together you know, a team of uh, clinicians, nurses, doctors, other folks um, who were daily uh, just uh, digesting a lot of the information that was, that was uh, developing and growing um, uh, to make sure that we, you know, we understood the most recent clinical information and safety recommendations. Um, and then had to determine how we were going, if and when and how we were going to uh, deploy that within our facilities. Um, so we had a very quick process to digest that on a regular basis and then communicate it out uh, throughout the entire system. So it didn't matter whether you were, you know, we have a thousand physicians in our uh, in, in providers in our physician organization, uh, Texas Health Physicians Group. They're all in their offices. Uh, and uh, they were very appreciative of the fact that, you know, almost daily we could give them updates, give them guidance, you know, give them the most recent information uh, and, and help them make decisions about how they were going to diagnose and treat patients. Same, same is true, obviously, in our hospitals. So um, uh, digesting the information, sorting it, deciding what's valid, what's not, what's, what applies and how it will apply in our institutions. Yeah. And, and, uh, and access points was really the second thing. Um, and then, you know, related to that is the fact that a pattern we certainly saw uh, when Ebola hit was that you, you quickly move from medical science to social science <laughs> um, to political science and then on into science fiction, and you move back and forth between all those. So it's really important uh, to help. Uh, sort through those things uh, and help the organization and the individuals who are a part of the organization, as well as our communities, get accurate, timely information that they can trust. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting, bringing back the systems theory um, to apply it to uh, times of crisis. Um, so it, so it sounds like in some ways the Ebola virus actually, there were some um, uh, benefits of going through that crisis as it relates to the ways in which you handled COVID-19, clearly a much bigger issue spanning a larger geospan, but you still were able to draw upon those lessons learned, which is so important. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. You had one of those unique experiences, um, much like some other cl clients like Oxner, who always, they, they deal with the, the hurricanes and the floodings and whatnot. And, and so they have this uh, mentality of being able to band together very quickly when there's a crisis situation and then disband. Um, okay, so during um, the COVID 19 pandemic, which continues today. Um, tell me a little bit about what it's taking for the system to support frontline healthcare workers um, and employees through this crisis, um, which is, as I mentioned, much, much larger, obviously affecting employees. We're, we're hearing a lot about employee burnout and um, love to learn a little bit more about what you've written about in the article in Frontiers uh, magazine. Sure. Um... So Tracy, I think, you know, the, the most important thing is, you know, how do you support employees so that they can care for, for the community, uh, regardless of where we're caring for the community. Um, and so you, you want an environment where people feel safe uh, and where they feel informed, listened to and valued. And uh, that's one of the things we really concentrated on. Um, I'm delighted that, uh, you know, twice uh, during the pandemic, uh, once uh, in uh, 19 and then 
again uh, in, in um, 20, uh, we went ahead with our engagement survey. You know, we had some discussion, should we do that in this current environment? And, you know, we clearly said, no, we need to know where things are. Uh, we certainly had a, a sense because we're really listening and talking to people. Uh, but the, uh, I, was, I was pleased that the, the number one theme that came back, actually in both surveys, was safety. People felt safe. Uh, they felt protected. Um, we didn't, you know, we organized in a way uh, that we didn't have issues with PPE. Um, you know, we had uh, a response to every question that came through. We knocked down all the kind of funky stuff that was that was emerging. Um, so first, people have to feel safe. Uh, and then they have to basically be supported uh, as they uh, as they go through their work. Um, we recognize that you know it's one thing to be thinking about how the pandemic was impacting um, our system in in its hospitals and physician offices and outpatient clinics, but we also you know clearly understood that uh, our employees and our physicians uh, were also going home. And their families were experiencing all this. Um, uh, because we were financially strong, we were able to keep everybody employed. We didn't do any furloughs. We didn't do any layoffs, uh, even when volumes were fluctuating. So there was that consistency for people. But we also recognized that um, uh, at home, a spouse might have been laid off. Uh, uh, kids who had been in school uh, didn't have daycare options were you know, a challenge for, for many employees. So we wanted to be make sure we were listening to what were people experiencing, not just at work, but but uh, when they left work and went home uh, and had to get up the next morning and come in. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we, for instance, we created a, a relief fund. And we we uh, had internal contributions to that, as well as uh, folks in the community that awarded grants to uh, eligible employees uh, who missed work for more than two weeks after testing positive. Uh, we also had folks who lost family members to COVID. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, they could uh, apply to our fund uh, uh, for financial support uh, as they went through those challenges. Could be used for housing or utilities, uh, childcare, food. We had all kinds of, of applications. Um, you know, we added backup daycare benefits. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we went through a process of really listening uh, to uh, what our employees were experiencing uh, and trying to respond as well as we could. Uh, it's, we also basically recognize that as the, the pandemic sort of wore on, uh, that it was certainly having an impact on the mental health uh, of our employees. You know, we had a... Uh, a mantra, which was, it's okay uh, to not be okay, um, and talk about that a lot. Um, and we increased our support for the mental well-being of our employees. Our employee assistance program expanded. Um, uh, we added uh, psychological first aid, um, which is an evidence-based mental health practice. Um, uh, we added more EAP clinicians uh, who are all licensed mental health professionals mm -hmm. uh, and, and had weekly uh, virtual group sessions that were voluntary for employees to discuss their feelings and, and you know, get vital information on how to cope with the challenging times. Um, 
and, and we had a huge number of thousands of folks that took advantage of, of those offerings. Um, and uh, so those were, were some of the, the kinds of things that we did uh, to support employees. First, they had to feel safe, and we had to understand how other challenges were, were occurring for them. Uh, and uh, I think we were reasonably successful in that. Uh, but I continue to worry that you know, the ongoing nature of this uh, is just going to uh, wear some people out. And as you mentioned in your question, there's a lot of discussion about you know, burnout right now. Um, so again, in our engagement survey, we were delighted to see that you know, we're in the top quartile in engagement. Uh, people are still engaged, but it doesn't mean that we should ignore the fact that you know, it's, it's tough on people. Yeah. Um, you know, when we, we looked at our physicians, uh, who some of their offices basically shut down, um, and that impacted their incomes as well. Uh, so we went through processes to kind of, uh, for a period of months, would be to sort of guarantee them sort of a minimum uh, care based upon their history. Uh, and uh, they were very appreciative of that, too. Yeah. You know, you've, you've had a, a long, illustrious career in, in healthcare, and I would imagine, and I don't, I'll ask the question and not make assumptions, that uh, the last three, now we're going on three years, um, has probably been um, the most challenging, I, with a question mark, I'm asking you that in terms of your career. And, and following that, yes or no, um, what would you say is the greatest leadership lesson that you've learned um, either throughout your career or through this pandemic? And how do you intend to carry that forward, either yourself or through the folks that you mentor along the way? Well, you know, we were changing a lot of things in the system at the start of the pandemic. And what we learned was that uh, when we're really focused, uh, we can innovate. We can, we're really unstoppable. Uh, we can learn, we can move quickly uh, and uh, all be on the same page. So um, it was easy to be focused, I think. Um, uh, a worldwide pandemic certainly will get your attention. And none of us have ever experienced that before. So it's all new ground. Um, uh, so I think, you know, recognizing that we can get focused and make those changes, uh, we'll carry forward. Uh, some of the um, uh, changes in the system uh, that were designed to really help us continue to focus much more on consumers uh, in everything that we do, we're accelerating uh, during the process. And it's not just a story of Texas Health. There were many systems that did the same thing. Uh, you know, the one that's probably most often talked about is virtual health. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, today, I was just before we got on, I was listening to our uh, incident command group uh, giving their report. Uh, and uh, while virtual care had dropped off, uh, earlier in the year, all of a sudden we flipped it back on and 20% of our visits to physician offices now are back up in the virtual mode. Uh, part of that is being driven by the fact that uh, we have physicians and staff uh, who are getting COVID um, and they're not uh, super sick. Uh, uh, you know, it's a mild case, but they have to stay home. And because of the technology we've invested in, uh, they can con continue to actually see patients from home while they're sick. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's kind of it's kind of unusual. 
It's amazing. It's like uh, that, that old adage, right? Never waste a good crisis. It's amazing uh, what, what, what innovations have occurred. And it's, and, and I hope that we continue along this, we meaning the healthcare industry continues along this, uh, you know, rapid innovation and collaborations to enhance health and wellness. Um, we, we often speak a lot about cross-sector collaboration as a means to solve uh, the most challenging uh, uh, issues facing the healthcare industry like health equity and employee wellness and cost and quality. Can you describe a situation where THR created a partnership that enhanced patient care and employee wellness? Um, you know, let me talk about patient care. Um, which I think you may know that we have a clinically integrated network uh, and uh, that we call Southwestern Health Resources that includes uh, Texas Health Resources, employed physicians, uh, the faculty at UT Southwestern uh, Medical Center, and uh, uh, a good number of independent physicians. Uh, and uh, that is a collaboration uh, that um, has, I think, uh, advanced uh, value-based care uh, in our system and in our community to a great degree. Um, with the NextGen program, which was one of the shared savings programs that uh, CMMI uh, created and offered, we were a participant in that. In fact, we were, uh, uh, in terms of savings uh, and quality improvement, uh, the top performer uh, in the country. Unfortunately, C CMMI has decided they have too many experiments out there, and they shut a bunch down and, and narrowed them down, so uh, we're switching over to a different program this year. Um, but uh, getting uh, physicians uh, from those various points of view uh, to collaborate and cooperate for our clinically integrated network to uh, develop an infrastructure to support them, uh, I think is, a, is a, a big picture example of how we've, uh, we've done a lot to uh, really transform the system. Uh, obviously, we have a lot more to go. That's an interesting collaboration. So the it was the infrastructure, um, just to uh, carry forward, it was the infrastructure developed as a result of the collaboration that impacted value um, for patients and consumers? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that started, uh, I mean, that relationship that we have with UT Southwestern um, uh, also resulted during the pandemic in our two systems, uh, creating a, a large seroprevalence study in North Texas mm -hmm. um, uh, to help inform um, the county and, and uh, decision makers and public health areas and, and businesses and employers. Um, and we did that very quickly. Um, so th there's a, a lot of great examples of how we, uh, we work together and collaborate in different ways. But we have a history when North Texas gets into certain uh, crises like this for all of the system leaders uh, to, to get together very regularly to exchange ideas and talk about how, as a group, we're going to respond. So um, uh, we're fortunate to have a strong Metropolitan Hospital Council here, Dallas Forward Hospital Council, and there it's easy for them to convene. And we convene both groups of chief medical officers from systems as well as the CEOs on a very regular basis uh, to talk about how we were all going to proceed and, and to cooperate as opposed to compete, obviously, in a very challenging time. 
That's excellent. That's a great example of a, a collaboration. Um, you can compete and collaborate. It's not uh, those two things can live simultaneously, but it's nice to know that the collaboration occurs, you know, w when when required, um, specifically as it relates to patient outcomes. Um, how do you envision that the industry will change and evolve over the next 30 years? <laughs> big question. That is a big question. Uh, you know, I think the way I would respond to that, uh, Tracy, is to say that um, first, medical knowledge is uh, expanding so rapidly right now. Uh, and it, as it becomes deployable uh, and, and the change, uh, it's a little hard to predict, but it's clearly going to have a huge dose of technology, uh, a huge dose of, of uh, new science. Um, uh, you know, the, just within Genetics and, and the pharma industry and the bioscience industry is already having a huge impact. It, it's going to change the system. What I hope will change as well is that uh, as we go through this uh, metamorphosis, which is probably a good description for it, um, uh, we have to make sure that we stay focused on the consumer uh, of services. One, that we, that's one. Two, that we think of that not as transactions, but we think of that um, uh, as a, the continuum of people's lives. Um, you know, our vision, um, partnering with you for a lifetime of health and well-being, uh, is really where I hope we'll, we'll, that we'll realize that in uh, 30 years. Hopefully we'll realize it sooner than 30 years. Um, but we have to create relationships with people uh, that they can trust, uh, and, and help people uh, be informed about how they can live uh, their best lives possible uh, over time. Um, and a, a big piece of that, Tracy, is going to be focusing on making sure that uh, we're much more equitable uh, across our communities and societies than we are today. Mm -hmm. So I think those are going to be uh, areas that we're going to see quite a bit of change in. Uh, how it all is going, how that recipe is all going to emerge as it all comes together uh, is unclear, but I'm, I'm optimistic that as we emerge from sort of this pandemic period into what most people say will be more endemic, um, that um, uh, we continue to focus on uh, the consumer, um, what they need, what they want uh, in an equitable way. Uh, and apply uh, whatever new knowledge, technology, and science uh, emerges uh, in the best ways possible in support of those goals. Mm, very good. What advice uh, do you have for other health ecosystem leaders who are in the midst of trying to navigate this post-pandemic healthcare landscape? You know, I think the essential element uh, is uh, listening listening to your patients, listening to your providers, listening to your employees, uh, listening to your community, um, uh, and um, always asking uh, more questions to make sure you get a deeper understanding of what people are feeling and seeing uh, and what they need. Um, you know, we've already talked about the fact that it's, it's critical to, to create a culture where your employee population feels uh, safe and that you're invested in them. And, and, uh, but, but we really need to make sure that we do the same thing for um, all the providers, uh, 
for all of the, the patients and families uh, that we have and, and create relationships that last uh, over time. Because mm. we have to, you know, I've said often uh, over the last number of years, uh, uh, don't call Texas Health a hospital system, it's a health system. We have, certainly we have hospitals and the hospitals are there uh, to basically take care of people that are sick and injured uh, and deliver babies. <laughs> um, but if we focus just on the hospitals, we're not really going to fulfill our mission of improving the health of the communities that we serve. We really have to step out um, uh, and uh, you know, go out to where people are. That, that isn't necessarily where um, people like you and me are. It's where all kinds of people are. Uh, and we have to really be focused and dedicated to that. Yeah, that's that's really um, lovely summary, honestly, for moving from hospital to health health care, health system. I know the AHA has talked about that for many years, changing the H in American Hospital Association to American Health Association, uh, which is which is, I think, really where we need to go. Um, when you think back, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And well, you've already been living that uh, that motto. Um, what would you like your legacy to be uh, as a leader? Hmm. Final question of our podcast. Yeah, uh, I don't think much about you know leaving a legacy. Um, what I want to do is to make sure that we have that, that when I um, quit leading the system here, uh, that uh, they're uh, headed in the right direction, um, accelerating uh, the trajectory uh, towards uh, fulfilling our mission and vision, uh, and doing that uh, by expressing our values uh, through our promise, uh, and that and that. There's an, uh, an institution uh, that has changed and is able to change in the future uh, in the face of all the disruptions that it will see, um, and that the culture uh, remains strong because it's ultimately the culture of the organization that allows us to respond to all the unknowns and all the challenges uh, that uh, we will experience in the future. So uh, leaving a strong culture um, that's focused on serving our mission, our vision, and expressing our values is really the, the legacy I look for. Excellent. Well, I thank you very much for sharing um, your journey, the journey of Texas Health Resources. Um, I, I've been a big fan of the systems you've, system you've been able to iterate over time to meet the needs, as you say, focused exclusively on the consumers um, and communities that you serve. Uh, and it's been a pleasure to learn from you. And I thank you very much and wish you continued success. I've enjoyed it a lot, Tracy. Thank you very much for having me. For those of you interested in learning more about leadership, please visit us at TLD Group's website. Join us for more interviews with health ecosystem leaders during our podcast series. And of course, stay tuned for the release of our book entitled From Competition to Collaboration, How Leaders Cultivate Cross-Sector Partnerships to Deliver Value and Transform Health. Thank you for joining us.